Welcome to the Crossroads Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. If you can multitask, um, I think confession is good for the soul. So I just need to see a show of hands. How many of you have made a foolish choice before? Show of hands. Okay. Look around. Anybody with their hand down is lying. Okay. Hey, my hand's up too. We, we've all made foolish choices before. And so today is good for us because we need to reset and learn to get wisdom. And uh, that's what today's all about. The book of Proverbs represents the collective wisdom of a nation. Most of the Proverbs were written by a man named King Solomon. In fact, the book of Proverbs is broken up into 31 chapters. And I might just suggest to you a chapter a day just might keep the doctor away. Okay. So here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. What, whatever day it is, read the, the proverb that corresponds with that day. So t- today uh, just happens to be the 31st, so today would be a good day to read Proverbs 31. Tomorrow, starting a new month, February 1st, read Proverbs 1. But think of Proverbs like a daily vitamin. I don't know how many of you take a daily vitamin, but when I was a kid, my mom would give me and my brother and sister these Flintstone vitamins. I don't even know if they make these anymore, but youth coaches, you may know what I'm talking about. Those Flintstone vitamins, I don't know what was in them, but man, I'd be popping those vitamins because they tasted so, so good. But my thinking is, is Proverbs is a daily dose of wisdom that fills some of those nutrient gaps in our spiritual diet. Proverbs is a collection of wisdom that was birthed through a dream, and that dream was the defining moment of Solomon's life. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 tells us the backstory. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Now listen, if, if you had a dream and God asked you that question, what would your answer be? I think for most of us, we have no idea what we would ask for. But I want you to think about that because we're going to come back to it. But first, what I want to do is is to lay some groundwork for understanding Proverbs. One, the title of of the book is Proverbs, not pronouns. Proverbs, not pronouns. Okay, here's what I mean. There is an action orientation to the Proverbs. You see, wisdom is not just knowing a bunch of data. Wisdom is not just ivory tower, Ivy League information. It's not book smarts as much as it is street smarts. You tracking with me? Spirituality is practicality. And so knowledge is a noun, but we need to think of wisdom as a verb. See, at the end of the day, God is not going to say to us, well thought, well said, well planned, good and faithful servant. No, he's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, faith without works, wisdom without action is dead on arrival. You can think of it this way. The Saturn V rocket that took those astronauts to the moon, it came with a guidance computer that mapped out the 240,000 mile journey to the moon. But guess what? that guidance system was completely worthless on the ground. Until it took off, it had no value to it. And I think the same thing is true with wisdom. Wisdom is a verb, not a pronoun. It's not passive. It's proactive. It it helps get us to where God wants us to go. 
Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and destruction. That, that verse is intended for us to put it into action. Not just know it, not just be able to say it, but to live it. Here's the second observation when it comes to the book of Proverbs. The title of the book is Proverbs, not Promises. Okay, The Bible's a big book. It's actually 66 books. It includes more than 40 human authors. Those authors include farmers and fishermen, poets and prophets, doctors, lawyers, kings. You have this whole combination that was written on three different continents in three different languages over 15 centuries. Some of these books were written in prison, like Paul's letter to the Philippians. Some were written in palaces, like when Solomon wrote Proverbs. But, but there's this thread that ties all of Scripture together, and it's the simple fact that all of these books were inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Peter 1.21 says that these writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the amazing thing. The same Spirit that inspired these writers as they wrote inspires us as readers as we read. Now here's the catch. You have to read it the way it was meant to be read. You have to read it in its proper context. If you take it out of context, it's going to mean something completely different. Like when you walk into a bookstore and you look at all the different shelves, there's different sections in a bookstore, and you don't go looking for history, or you, excuse me, you don't go looking for fiction in the history section, right? No, there's, there's different literary genres, and the same thing is true in Scripture. You've got law and history and prophecy. You've got gospels and epistles. But Proverbs is what's called wisdom literature. And in wisdom literature, a proverb is different than a promise. So, so let me give to you an example. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I know a lot of parents who have interpreted that proverb as a promise, and they've paid the price. These proverbs are principles, not promises. They're guidelines, not guarantees. So why is that? Well, because there's this thing in life called free will. And free will alters the algorithm of life. See, one of my favorite proverbs used to keep me up at night. It used to really mess with me because it didn't make sense to me. Proverbs 26.4, it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then the very next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so I'm scratching my head saying, which is it? Come on. Do you answer a fool or do you not answer a fool? Seems contradictory. How can both of them be true? Well, here it is. Sometimes you answer a fool and sometimes you don't. And it takes wisdom to know the difference. You got to know the situation that you're in. You got to know the person that you're talking to. 
All right, so back to King Solomon. In this dream, he asked for wisdom, and he said in 1 Kings 3, verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Translation, Solomon is in over his head. Like, he's way past his pay grade. And so what does he do? He asks for wisdom. And it says that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Uh, Verse 11, God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and that none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no king shall compare with you all your days. Okay. So, if Will Smith pops out of Aladdin's lamp and he gives you three wishes, my guess is I've got a sneaking suspicion that wisdom would not be guess one, would not be wish one, wish two, or wish three. Because the reality is, is we live in a culture today that values 15 minutes of fame more than a lifetime of accumulated wisdom. Our world prizes youthfulness. We prize airbrushed photos. Everybody who's older wants to look younger. We don't live in a culture that values age, but, but the ancients of old, in their culture, they esteemed gray hair. They esteemed people who were older. Why? Because they understood that wisdom is the key to everything else. Listen, wealth without wisdom is a disaster waiting to happen. Knowledge without wisdom, power without wisdom. I'm telling you, something's going to get used and abused. And so if I had to reduce the book of Proverbs to a least common denominator, it would be these two simple words. Get wisdom. Here it is, Proverbs 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Now, I kind of like that because it sounds very redundant. And sometimes I need people, I need people to repeat things to me so that I really get it. That's what Solomon's doing here. He's doubling down and he's making sure that we understand the significance of what he's saying. Now, it almost sounds like circular reasoning, right? But but he says, hey, whatever you get, get insight. The NIV says, though it costs you everything you have, get understanding. Now, the question for me, and I'm guessing the question for you, is how in the world do we do that? So today I want to talk about three ways we can get wisdom. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Number one, listen to your life. Listen to your life. Several years ago, I read a book by Frederick Beechner called Listening to Your Life. And in the book, he says this. He says, if I were called to state in a few words the essence of everything I was trying to say, both as a novelist and as a preacher, it would be something like this. Listen to your life. Now, let me explain. 
I know several people who have been Christians for 25 years, but they don't have 25 years of experience. They have one year of experience repeated 25 times. Why? Because they're not listening to their lives. Because they're making the same mistakes over and over and over again. They haven't learned from their mistakes. You see, we have to learn the lessons that life is trying to teach us. We have to build character right now. You have to build character right now in the present circumstances you find yourselves in as a student, as a junior high student or a high school student. You have to learn those lessons now because they will help you as you step into the next season of life that you're in. If you don't listen to your life, you won't gain the wisdom that life is trying to teach you. I had a professor in college who loved to ask this question. He said, what makes you cry? What makes you pound your fist on the table? In other words, he's saying, what makes you sad? What makes you mad? He said, if you know what makes you cry, if you know what makes makes you pound your fist on the table, you're coming very close to having a God-ordained passion. Now, I would add one thing to the mix. What makes you smile? What makes you happy? In other words, what makes you sad? What makes you mad? What makes you glad? If you're sitting here today and you're wondering what to do with your life, and you're wanting to know what to pursue, you're wanting to know what's next, if you want to know how you can make the biggest difference in the world, find out what is it that makes you the gladdest. Again, Frederick Beechner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Have you ever watched a TV show or maybe a documentary on Netflix or read a book about someone who was found guilty of a crime that they didn't commit? Anytime I I, I read a story or or I, I watch one of those shows, I always think, how do you do that? How do you endure a false accusation? How do you overcome a verdict that robs you of your reputation and robs you of your freedom and robs you of years of your life? In the field of psychology, scientists talk about something that they call explanatory styles. Explanatory styles. Stick with me. What they mean by that is how you explain things to yourself, how you explain different experiences that you have, what what you tell yourself is really happening. They say that the way you explain events to yourself determines how helpless you become or how energized you become when you have everyday setbacks as as, as well as huge monumental challenges in life. So you can have two people who go through the same exact circumstances and one of them becomes bitter and the other one becomes better. Same circumstances, okay? But I would say different explanation. And here's what I will tell you that I know for sure. Your explanations are far more important than your experiences. So how do you know that? Well, I would submit to you Joseph as exhibit A. Joseph in scripture is a man who is a victim of injustice. He did nothing wrong. In fact, he did what was right and he spent 13 years in an Egyptian dungeon. 
how do you survive that? Well, I think it's an explanatory style that we find in Genesis 50 verse 20. Listen, if you're Joseph, you could come up with a whole lot of explanations for this experience, right? And I think at the top of the list would be, God has forsaken me, God has forgotten me, God doesn't care about me. But here's what Joseph says to his brothers who sold him into slavery and left him for dead. He says this, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Listen, God doesn't play checkers, God God plays chess. He was setting Joseph up, but it took a setback to get him to where he needed to be. And in the process, somehow, Joseph does not grow bitter, he grows better. He could have given up, but he refused to call it quits. Joseph is someone who learned to listen to his life. He learned the lessons and he cultivated the character to become second in command in all of Egypt behind Pharaoh. All right, number two, you need to surround yourself with the right people. You got to listen to your life, but then you have to surround yourself with the right people. Over 40 years ago, there were some child psychologists who were doing some studies on how babies develop. And one of the doctors, his name is Andrew Meltzoff. He was, he was looking at this baby and he stuck his tongue out at the baby. Like, how rude, right? Come on, it's just a baby. You know what the baby did? the baby stuck her tongue back right at him. He probably deserved it, right? Now, here's what's fascinating. What they discovered is that infants learn how to imitate other people's facial expressions and gestures between 12 and 21 days old. Is that remarkable? We are hardwired to imitate what we see others do. So as I was thinking about this, it jogged my memory back to church when, when I was a kid. And, and in our little children's class, we used to sing this little song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Now, I don't know about the whole theology of that song, but there's some truth to it. And, and listen, this is why. Romans 12, verse 2. This is so hard. It says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Guys, I'm telling you, that's hard to do. Why? Because we're surrounded by a culture that we often consume without any sort of filter. But, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, let's break this down just a little bit. Proverbs 12, 26 in the NIV, Solomon says this, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. I think what Solomon is saying is this, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You have to surround yourself with the right people. Now, let me switch gears just a bit. According to the science of social networking, if you have a friend who smokes, there's a 61% greater likelihood that you'll smoke. If you have a friend who becomes obese, you're 45% more likely to gain weight over the next two years. And if your friends are happy, there's a greater likelihood that you'll be happy. Now, I'm not sure we needed a scientific study for that one. That one kind of makes sense. But listen, there's a ripple effect to all of these studies. 
Check this out. If you have a friend who has a friend who has a friend that's happy, right? Like three degrees of separation, there is a 6% greater chance of you being happy. Now that may not seem like much, but there's another study that found that if you get a 10% raise in your paycheck, you're only going to be 2% happier. So so what I'm, I'm trying to say is this. The people we surround ourselves with have a much greater impact on us than we're aware of. And we don't just impact our friends. Check this out. For better or for worse, you're impacting your friend's friend's friend. That's the kind of influence that we have. You say, okay, great. What's that have to do with wisdom? Well, if you want to get better at tennis, what do you do? You got to play against someone who's better than you are, right? Right? If you're a runner and you want to get faster, what do you need to do? You need to be running with some people who are faster than you, who are going to push you. It's the only way you're going to get any better. And, And so let me tell you what I try to do. I try to get around people that are going to stretch my faith. And and, and when I think that that I'm dreaming big, I'm I'm around some people that make me start to think, you know what, maybe I'm not dreaming big enough. You, You got to get around those people, but it takes humility because you're putting yourself in a place where you're with people who do things better than what you do. And then it also, it takes some intentionality. Do you know why we put so much effort into our connect groups here at Crossroads? It's because, yeah, we want to grow bigger and bigger because we want to reach more people, no doubt. But we also want to grow smaller and smaller at the same time through connect groups. Why? Because that's where discipleship happens. That's where life change happens. Listen, spirituality is a team sport. You cannot get to where God wants you to go all by yourself. Even the Godhead represents relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in a beautiful trinity. So you need to choose your friends wisely. And this is where you need the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And I want to be real careful right here. Because there are some of you in here who honestly, you need to lose a friend or two while continuing to love them. Listen, if they are tearing you down more than you're building them up, in other words, if if there's more negative influencing coming this way than there is positive influencing going that way, then, then nobody's doing anybody any favors. You're not helping them. They're not helping you. There may be a season in your life right now where you need to set some boundaries. But at the same time, students, I want to say not just choosing your friends wisely, but let's take it a step further. Almost 14 years ago, I had a youth ministry internship on my resume, and that was about it. I was 22 years old, just getting ready to graduate college, and I had almost no life experience. And that's when, for some reason, the leaders at Crossroads saw a little bit of potential in me. And they, they reached out and, and they'd offered me a position here on staff and they let me come and serve here. And I've had the opportunity to learn and grow by spending a lot of time around a lot of godly men and women. And I've spent years and years around people like Pastor Barry and Matt Cameron and Lindsey Kornatzer and Mike Nolan and Kelly Voris and Brian Mrazek. 
And I'll tell you this, you know what happens when you spend almost 14 years in friendship with someone? You start thinking like that person. You start loving like that person. You start praying like that person. You may, may even start preaching like that person. You may start leading like that person. And so here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want to say. Some of you, you're like, yeah, yeah, Joel, that sounds great. But, but how do I get that? How do I get my Matt Cameron? Well, I think for starters, you got to look around because there, there may be someone in your life who's right there. But you got to take a step. It can be as simple as, as saying, hey, let's go get some food together. Let's go grab some coffee. Let, let's, stop, let's, let's talk and let's see if God might be orchestrating a relationship here. And I get it as a teenager. You want everything right now. You've got dreams. You want them to come true right now. I'm telling you, your day is going to come. You want things immediately, but let me just tell you this. I think one of the best ways to go after the dream that God has placed inside of your heart is by serving someone else's dream. And that may happen through your teenage years and even into your 20s. But you know how you learn leadership? You get around a leader that you actually respect, that you love, and you learn from them. And so you just got to get this on your radar and you got to say, God, who is that person? It may be your connect group leader. Underclassmen, it might be some of the upperclassmen in this room. But you got to begin searching out that person and saying, God, show me, who is that person that's going to help me grow and become everything that God wants me to be? All right, I'm going to close real quick. Number three is this, ask God for supernatural wisdom. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given to him. It's simple. You just do what Solomon did. You ask God for it because God loves to give wisdom. In fact, you know, Ephesians 3 says that his intent was that now through the church, that's you and that's me, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Is that incredible? Let me remind you today that wisdom has a name. Three names. Wisdom is a person, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen, God doesn't just give us a map. Praise God for the Bible. But God gives us somebody, a person who dwells within us, who guides us, who empowers us, who gifts us with what? He gifts us with a spirit of wisdom. My youth minister is one of my mentors to this day. We live a thousand miles away from each other, but we stay in touch. And I remember when I was a student, he was preaching one night at youth camp. He was in the middle of his message and he feels the sense that there's someone in the crowd who's putting some pieces in place to, to make a very bad decision. And so he stops preaching from his notes. And he just says this, he says, there's somebody here tonight who's setting themselves up to make a really bad decision. There's somebody here tonight who's setting themselves up to hurt themselves. And I'm telling you tonight, don't do it. After the service was over, this young man walks forward and just wraps his arms around his neck. He says, that's me. Thank you 
You know what that is? 1 Corinthians 14. That's a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. It's a supernatural wisdom that goes beyond conventional wisdom. And it's ours for the asking. And God wants to give it to you. He wants to. Listen to your life. Listen to it, okay? Surround yourself with the right people. And ask God for supernatural wisdom. And he will give it to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories. And make sure to tag us at Crossroads Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.